And welcome to the show. I'm Mike Indes, your host, and we're here with Ben from Everybody Belongs or Everyone Belongs. Which, which one is it? I think technically it's Everyone Belongs because that was the one that was available on Instagram. Everyone Belongs. Excellent. Well, as I was telling you before uh, we started recording, I had been off social media for quite some time. And so when I got back on, reluctantly, but I, I got back on, I got on Instagram and I came across your your. Uh, Instagram posts, and I was like, wow, these are really cool, and I sent you a message. I said, I don't even know who this is, uh, but I think, judging by what you're posting, it'd be cool to have you on the podcast, so I don't even know your last name. So, Ben, uh, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is awesome, and thanks for uh, being willing to be uh, brave enough to uh, come out and do this. So, I did some further research after you said you would be on the show, and I saw another... um, uh, YouTube channel that you had, uh, and, and got to know y'all, you and your family, I guess a little bit better. So that was kind of cool. Um, and, uh, I watched, uh, kind of a heartbreaking post about, uh, something that happened to y'all with a, uh, Christian camp that you were hoping to work at. And, uh, that didn't really, uh, work out, I guess for you. And it's, 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 uh, really cool to see people being very honest about those sorts of things. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, and I did get a chance to listen to a couple of your uh, podcasts too, or at least watch them on YouTube. So you've got a wealth of information there. And um, we, you know, I appreciate being able to see that. And, and it's social media is great because now people uh, have a voice that didn't have a voice before. So if you want to now at the beginning, we'll do it again at the end. Uh, just tell people where they can find you on social media and what you got going on there. Yeah, well, our family started off making YouTube videos, and our YouTube channel was called Fight for Together. But after about three or four years of making content um, about families, we started to realize as our life went through some sort of like spiritual transition ourselves that we felt like we almost needed this whole other platform just to talk about our spiritually changing beliefs and experiences. So that's when we started this kind of newer channel that you're talking about, which is called Everyone Belongs. And it's on Instagram, just as Everyone Belongs. And eventually, we only have one video up there now, but it will be a YouTube channel was actually the primary goal, um, which is kind of the goal of it is to talk about kind of the systems that discourage inclusion and kind of promote tribalism and exclusion. And we didn't really realize when we were raised under a more Christian belief uh, that, you know, a lot of exclusion, it's not kind of a byproduct, I don't think. Um, And I know your channel is more of a focus on spiritual abuse, but even spiritual abuse oftentimes is not a byproduct of the belief, like an accidental, like, whoops, it's actually like what the system was created to do. And even if you're inside it and your heart is awesome and you mean really well, a lot of times people find themselves in situations where they're like, um, you know, they're, they're doing actions that are hurtful to others and they don't know why because they're only doing what they were taught. So we're trying to address things by looking at these systems and this tribal mentality and how to move beyond that. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, we all look back on like the Inquisition and go, that was terrible. But I was having a conversation about a historian about that. And he said, you know, some people probably thought 
they were torturing people for the right reason. So if I see that you're going off on some heretical bent, I need to make sure that you don't, you know, burn in hell uh, forever and ever. So it's better and more loving for me to torture you now, pull out your fingernails or do whatever, than it would be to allow you to pass away without having repented. Um, so that's that's kind of a new spin on things, and I know that's kind of an extreme example, um, but the, the same kind of thing happens, right? You know, I know Rachel Held Evans, uh, she posted in one of her books a lot of the things that people told her uh, when she left, you know, and uh, the, the most snarkiest one was praying for you. Um, and I think you mentioned that you had gotten that one as well. Um, so there's there's this distancing that happens, but sometimes, or at least it's under the guise of making sure that you know that, hey, you're not doing the right thing. And in order for us to be in right relationship, you need to repent. Um, so how do, you, how do you deal with that? Uh, or how, how have you, I know how I do, but how have you dealt with that? Especially since you mentioned in your video um, that that kind of cost you a... Um, uh, a, a job at camp where all your kids were. So um, how have you experienced that? And, um, g- you know, what what are you doing about it? Or how are you dealing with that in a, in a Christian way? Yeah, well, there's a couple of phases that we've been through. Um, you know, I think our initial, we've been kicked out of so many different Christian things. Well, I say so many, but it doesn't take many. And a variety of them to be able to see uh, kind of the through lines and the patterns that follow them. So we've been kicked out of enough Christian things that we were able to see, oh, this, I mean, I guess you could go a couple angles. Like, we're either the worst people on the planet or we were never meant to fit in here. And I think after a lot of money and time with our therapists, we concluded the latter. Not that we were more sinful than others or more crazy, but that when you're a certain way, certain people don't fit into this type of organization. Um, or to this type of power structure. There's not a place for that. And originally, there was a lot of pain around that. I mean, we're talking about family and our closest friends and closest family and people that had mentored us and people that had uh, you know, business partners and all sorts of relationships fell apart. And it was a very, very painful couple of years. But after some of the pain started to lessen, I guess... Um, we started to be able to ask some different questions, which is, why is this happening? You know, are these people really out to get us? Um, or do they just believe something uh, that is actually harmful to us? And it was a very easy answer for us because we had just come from that belief ourselves, And in a lot of ways, we're still in it. And we knew, you know, what the nth degree, like where those beliefs led to, we just didn't know it when we first started down that track. Um, so, you know, the I'll pray for you thing, it's it's fascinating. I think that's a really fun example. Because it's one of the most common phrases out there that's said by both people of faith and not people of faith. But what's kind of behind it, and oftentimes what's implied by it, is that... You know, there's almost like kind of a pity that goes along with it. Like, there's some assumptions if you're reading lives. One is that you need my prayers. One is that my prayers are being heard, and I'm the type of person uh, that God listens to. So when you start to look at, like, some of those systems of thought that underlie a very simple statement like that, I think it started to become a little bit less shocking to us why we had ended up where we had ended up. 
And, you know, I think it was also humbling in a way where we realized that a lot of our actions, although well-intentioned for a lot of decades, were actually hurtful to other people during that same time period. So, you know, it's kind of this, I, I don't think you can realize what it feels like to be on the outside until you're on the outside. And then it made us look at everyone that, like, was on the outside while we were on the inside differently. Because <laughs> a lot of years we didn't care. We heard about people being kicked out of churches or camps. And we're like, well, I guess they don't fit. You know, too bad for them. Like, they don't believe in law. Too bad they don't do something about it. And then what happens to you, you're like, whoa, I was just like, being me. So. So this happened, um, you were married at the time when, so y'all were going to churches, you were getting kicked out together. So you were kind of deconstructing things with your wife at the same time. And you already had kids at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I've been married for 20 years and we got, I mean, like there's a whole story, like we got pregnant early on, and, but we got kind of like, it's hard to say kicked out because it happened really politically savvy. Uh, we were like graciously exited from a church. Probably our first time was maybe, oh, it was probably 12 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it was the type of thing where they said, hey, you don't think you're a good fit here. Like, um, maybe you should like resign and pull your membership. And we were like, no, we don't really want to. And they're like, well, okay, we'll kind of do it for you. Um, and that was a Presbyterian church in Seattle. Um, and then what happened next? Then we were a part of kind of like a home church movement um, that was very undefined. So we thought, oh, this is like the unchurch. Like, this is so different, we thought. Like, this is going to be more organic and more about relationship and less organized. And there's nothing really to get kicked out of. And that was actually kind of like our harshest removal I guess, where we were officially, like, shunned. Uh, I say official, it's kind of funny because there's no official organization, but there was a letter that was circulated about us behind our back where we were disfellowshipped and, you know, all that kind of, like, Matthew 18 type of church discipline type stuff. And then, yeah, the latest was about a summer trip that we had planned to go kind of just, like, cook at a camp that we had both literally been at every year of our life. I mean, my mom was pregnant while we went to this Bible camp in the Pacific Northwest, and we were set to serve there this summer. This is a family, and it's a fun family tradition, and it's a big road trip for us to drive out to Washington. And about two weeks before um, we were set to go, we got a phone call from the camp, and they just very simply said, hey, we found out from one of your videos that you don't believe it's a sin to be gay or transgender. So because of that, they said, you're not allowed to cook at this camp. It's like a volunteer position. Um, but you're still not allowed to be here. So that was, you know, it was, it was a bummer. But, I mean, at a certain point, you're, like, not really surprised about things like that anymore. So it was, it was really hard for the kids, though. But some of them still went, actually. Yeah, that, that is. Well, let me ask you this, though. So were there specific, and you don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but like the home church thing, were there specific reasons there that they didn't want y'all to be a part of it anymore? Well, that was really confusing. It took years to unravel because there were, 
But what we noticed the more we talked to various people is the reasons were always kind of different and changing depending on who um, we talked to. Um, so it was like, and like I said, back then, for a long time, I thought the problem was me. So I thought, well, there's some sort of problem here. It has different labels, but sin is sin is sin. So obviously it's me and it's my sin, so I need to like fix this so I fit in. So, I mean, just to give you some examples, I think we were accused of pride. Uh, I was accused of like shepherding, abuse, like really vaguely. Um, and these were not specific um, accusations that had like an action associated with it. There were kind of like these vague feelings. And I, I mentioned that because when I, we went to a therapist to get help for this whole scenario, we were so just like jacked up from it. Um, he first mentioned that, hey, none of these accusations are describing any specific behavior. They're all like pretty vague and just describing feelings of the quote unquote victim. And he said, as a therapist, that's a red flag for me because both biblically, like when someone sins against someone, he was using that language because I think he understood we were comfortable with it. It necessitates an action. And because, you know, the whole situation was, was kind of shady in hindsight. So now as I interpret it, although we were accused of certain things, I don't really see that as what was really, that never really mattered, the accusations. The accusations are placeholders for a much uh, broader uncomfortability with us. Right. Yeah, I've, I've been in that situation before where somebody would say, Look, Mike, you're asking too many questions. Um, I don't think you really are interested in the answers. I think you're just very prideful and sinful. And the reason you're asking these questions is to hide that sin and pride in your life. So once you get your heart right with God and, and the pride goes away, then you won't have those questions anymore. Um, which, A, that's a personal attack, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, you're asking something, and they're coming back with some sort of subjective reason why they think that you are asking those questions or acting that way. Um, yeah, that's but they're it. acting like it's objective. Right. And, and that is so dangerous. In fact, that's one of the few things our therapist said, you know, of all the things Jesus came down on people for, one of the worst and most explicit was judging others' hearts. You know, so the irony of our situation, and it sounds like something you've been through also, was when people are making black and white judgments about what's going on inside of another human being, I think it's actually one of the most dangerous dangerous spiritual activities you can do. Dangerous for yourself, others, and a community. And that's what was being done to us. So yeah, I didn't I didn't know all that any of that at the time, you know, because I just I trusted these people and I had learned other spiritual authorities in my life and to question them is really to question God and all, you know, all that type of stuff, which is pretty, <laughs> I love that's pretty standard for people that are raised that way. Yeah. I, I kind of grew up in a Pentecostal thing. So you had, um, a direct line to God. So that was hard to question too. Um, I was at a concert once. You, I, you're probably a lot younger than I am, but do you know who Carmen is? He's this really horrible yeah, Christian, yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. uh, I was at Six Flags and I was with my girlfriend at the time and we, there was just a Carmen concert. We didn't know who was playing. We walked in, and uh, we weren't into that, so we just kind of sat down for a second. And the lady behind us said, hey, the reason y'all aren't into this is because you're worshiping each other, and you're not worshiping God. And I'm like, no, the reason we're not into this is because Carmen sucks. 
Um, but yeah. when you're when you grow up in that environment that people can have a direct connection to God and people do prophesy and in, in the Pentecostal churches they do it on a regular basis, then who are you to question uh, that thing? You know, because those gifts are, are it's written in the Bible; they're given, and so you really have no. Uh, you can't question, especially as a kid, you know, so um, there's authority just in that, even though it's not anything that you can necessarily uh, tie up biblically or say, well, show me that in the Bible, because the authority is coming from the gift that God has given someone of, of prophecy or discernment. There's a good one, right? Um, that that one can be used extensively to manipulate people. Um, so, th- I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask, but one is, you said you, you went, y'all went to a therapist and you said he was using the Bible. Did you? What kind of therapist did you go to? Um, and what, what, what kind of uh, psychoanalysis did he practice? This is interesting. You know, it was kind of funny because he was. Um, I was in Cincinnati, and we had him recommended. And his name, it was like, you know, Steve Beveridge and Associates. This isn't his real name, but Steve Beveridge and Associates. So I go on his website, and there's all these like prices listed. And then it was like, you know, his name was like Steve Beveridge, and he was like the most expensive. So I was like, all right, I want to go with him. I want to go with the heavy hitter. And I had heard this guy had dealt with all these narcissistic, um, like, pastors. Wow. Like, he was the one that could, like, handle, like, you couldn't pull one past on this guy, which is actually what I wanted, because I wanted someone that was like, could see through the bullshit. If I really was prideful, and if I was sneaky and just driven by my ego. I wanted someone to tell me that, Mm -hmm. you know, that was smarter than me. So I was like, okay, this guy's name is on the practice. He's the most expensive guy. And I heard he had like counseled pastors and stuff like that. I didn't know what he believed, but, um, but we went with him and he was really fascinating because, um, I mean, I shared the story in the beginning and I, I went in asking, okay, what sin is this? And I was told that it was pride, among other things. So I asked him, and he just, very simply in the beginning, he said, you know, in my experience, someone that who, who has excessive pride, I guess, wouldn't be here asking me these types of questions. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, oh, you're just kissing my ass. Like, you just want more of my money. <laughs> and that's, that's actually where I went with this. And it ended up being one of the most healing processes that I had been through just because it was someone speaking from the outside into our life. Um, and although he had a spiritual background, I've learned more about this guy as we've gone to him over the years. And he actually supposedly like, this could have been decades ago, but he was um, going to like the state, um, like the counseling associations, arguing with them that there should be a special kind of like diagnosis for evangelical Christianity nowadays because mm-hmm. so many people are coming out of it with the same symptoms. And I heard very recently that now there actually is something like that, mm-hmm. um, some sort of like trauma diagnosis, like for religious folks. Yes. But anyhow, he, he was, was very, very helpful for us. The, the second thing I'll mention that he said was I very quickly – asked, well, if it's not pride, I said, what sin is it? And kind of, you can tell my my obsession at the time, because of the soil I was raised in, was in identifying what sin it was. That, to me, if there was a problem, it was sin. And if it was sin, you could, like, fix it. 
Um, but he quickly said, you know, I don't think the problem in these relationships that you're having is based upon a sin. And he, he asked me a question. He said, if a woman was, you know, sexually abused as a child and then she didn't want to have sex with her husband, would you say that that's a sin? And I said, like, no. You know, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't really know what he was getting at. But he said, you know, just because someone is wounded or has a spiritual wounding or, or area of immaturity doesn't mean it's necessarily a sin, even according to the Bible. And that, I mean, I called my wife on the ride home and I was just crying. And I said, you know, maybe I'm not a monster. I mean, that was, that was like my second meeting with this therapist. That's, that's unreal. Um, man, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, he's, he's definitely right on the idea that, uh, you know, you wouldn't be going <laughs> if you, if you thought it, if it really was a problem, uh, with, with the pride thing. Um, man, I don't, I don't even know where to unravel some of this. There is a lady now, I forgot her name, Barbara, I think I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and she does have a term now for, uh, some sort of neurosis or psychosis that's based on coming out of fundamentalist Christianity. But let's maybe let's play off that for a minute if we can. Um, the idea that, and she writes about this as well, um, but the idea that we're sinful, um, I, I just finished writing a paper on someone who had obsessive compulsive disorder uh, who also had criminophobia, which is an archaic term, but who was also a fundamentalist Christian. I wrote a therapy plan for for this you know person, and um, the problem this person had from a young age was the uh, obsessive thoughts. Well, I'll give you one example. So she would always write her name down on the board when the teacher would leave the classroom. The teacher would say, "If anybody talks, write your name down on the board." And so she was taught from the fundamentalists that she was dreadfully and hopelessly sinful and that she can't even, you know, nothing good will emanate from her at all. She was taught this, you know, as a young child. And because she was so scared of going to hell, and this is a true story, she would write her name on the board even though she didn't talk. Uh, so she, it would, she would, in effect, you know, kind of lie. And, and, and she was so torn up inside of herself. So th- that, that idea of finding a sin... Uh, really kind of resonates with me because I think it resonates with anyone who grew up being taught in these fundamentalist churches that they are awful sinners and there is no room for making mistakes as a child because anything you do or think or whatever uh, is sin-based. Um, and that takes a, a, a massive shift of uh, uh, you know huge proportions to try to change someone's mindset of what they think they actually are um and you have kids i have kids and that was, that was the scariest thing for me was making sure that my kids don't have that same mindset that i grew up with uh that same you know idea of of what makes us human um and and become as tortured as i am uh because of that so um that's i mean thanks again for sharing that's that's uh and being honest and open about that but that's fascinating that you you were worried about what sin it was because it seems like you know growing up in that same fundamentalist uh mindset that's that's what you were gunning for right it's got to be a sin yeah and it, it becomes pretty obsessive and you know i think in terms of moving out of that 
it, it's so weird to me now, looking back at what I used to believe not very long ago. And where I'm at now, I would have considered myself a sellout or a pagan or somebody who's taking the easy way out or somebody who's backslidden or lost, all these kind of negative terms. Um, because I, I can see now that being involved in a lot of that format of religious institution, it's not so much about what's biblical as what's like kind of concrete. And I mean, the, the reason why this is so important is because the rules of engagement are always changing. You know, like the key sins that they're focused on right now are very different from what they were focused on two decades ago or mm-hmm. six decades ago or 400 years ago. I mean, it's like radically different. And it's the same Bible, right? Like the Bible hasn't changed. But our fixation um, on specific sins and what it takes to be included in, in the club at any given time is all over the board. Um, so, I don't know. I say that all to say now as I look back, I, I couldn't imagine. I thought, like, overhearing a conversation like this, it meant that you were taking sin less seriously mm-hmm. or, that, or that you really must not care about God. Um, you know, it was like just using homosexuality as an example. But now I can see, man, there's so much power to how the powers that be, or when I was in these power structures, the kind of the rhetoric that we repeated to both ourselves and to our kids and people around us, how completely culturally kind of like fluid and arbitrary it was. Hmm. It's like, you never know, like what people, like next decade, what's it going to be, you know? Uh, And we could, I don't think we could have guessed like two decades ago that we were going to be like, you know, you, you had mentioned very briefly uh, before this phone call talking about purity culture. And, you know, it's so fascinating hearing about how a lot of those terms were invented in, uh, I think, mostly 80s, uh, possibly 90s, and how that became this thing that took over Christian culture by storm. Um, but how it, like, largely didn't exist before that, at least in those, using those words and those phrases and those exact ideas. Yeah, and I'm glad that's getting uh, a, a close examination now, and I'm, I'm glad people are coming out and talking about the uh, harmful things that that has done. But again, I mean, you're right. That was the, that was what was happening then, and now we're concerned about homosexuality. And then in another 20 years, it'll be something else that's the, the focus of sin. Yeah, so I, I found it's, I mean, it's so nice just to be able to step back from having to obsess about that type of behavior. And I think that theology we had and the definitions we had beforehand, it didn't really allow us to do that. And we were raising our kids in a way, I mean, you talked about raising kids, and we were raising our kids in a way where we were teaching them that they were born basically broken, selfish, um, damaged, and crooked, you know, all these kind of, like, like the, the life verses for that is, like, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, like, wrong, wages of sin is death and all that kind of stuff. And um, I don't know. I think even, like, learning that the the idea of original sin, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a historian, but I heard, like, oh, that was something that was, like, proposed by St. Augustine, um, 
St. Augustine, like, I don't know, I don't know the dates, but it's all relatively new in the United States. Like, this wasn't something that was necessarily a biblical belief that was, like, counted upon people that, oh, we are just wretched and vile, and we should, like, basically hate our flesh. And, you know, there's a few verses you can pull out if you want to, like, look for that, and if you want to harp on that. But that was our mantra. I mean, that was our parenting. Mm -hmm. That was the backbone of our parenting, was protecting our kids from themselves. So when that idea shifted in us, it was amazing how fast our parenting was able to follow suit because it felt so much more natural, actually, um, to not have to teach everyone that, oh, if you want the cookie, like, before your little sister, that's, like, evidence of sin in your life, <laughs> you know? We're able to be like, oh, no, actually, that's just, like, normal. And, like, you're, you're actually designed to look out for your needs and prioritize yourself. Now, we can talk about what to do with that information, but to just, like, moralize it from the get-go, it makes conversation very difficult. Yeah, it's no, I I totally agree. I mean, when my kids, I didn't raise my kids in the same uh, foolishness that I grew up in. But I while I was unwinding from a lot of that, I did apologize to them a lot um, and make sure they knew, you know, they're they're older than yours are. Make sure they knew, hey, I was wrong about this because I didn't want to leave them hanging with a bad idea of what I believe or, or maybe something that I had taught them that they're still believing that I no longer uh, hold on to, but they're smarter than me, so they saw through it a lot uh, faster than I did. But yeah, I, I can't, you know, man, the, the oh, goodness, the, the horrible things that we were taught, particularly with the return of Jesus. Like, so I don't believe any of this anymore, but, you know, I was taught that Jesus was going to come back. And if you were in a little bit of sin, so let's say I was wanting that cookie, you know, whatever, uh, and Jesus comes back, I'm not going to go. And I'm going to be stuck here during, they were always, you know, pre-trib people. So I was stuck here during the whole seven years of the tribulation without the Holy Spirit. Not sure where any of that, they get any of this stuff from. Um, and then I'm going to have to try to be a Christian during this time period and then probably get my head chopped off with a guillotine. Um, like, that's horrifying for a 10-year-old to, to think is the results of them wanting a cookie that their sister had. Um, yeah. So that you know that you're coming to fundamentalism, particularly where you're coming to, we all come to everything with a specific mindset. We all have presuppositions, and I hear a guy I work at a Christian radio station that says all the time, "I don't have any presuppositions. I just open the Bible and read what it says." Like, oh man, dude, come on! You're saying you're free of presuppositions. Um, I think that's the most dangerous um, type of person there is. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah, it's it's very unaware. Um, yeah, we've had similar examples with our kind of like older spiritual community or specifically my wife's family that was very ministry focused. They would say things like, well, we just read the Bible. And we're like, well, no one just reads the Bible. I mean, you're reading it in a certain way from a certain place for a certain reason. And I think that's what's been one of the most helpful things to me is Peter Rollins is a author kind of like theologian i don't know if you've read his stuff yeah. but he, he has he asked a very interesting question and, and he kind of said instead of asking what religion teaches or what it says he said one of the most interesting questions is to ask why are we approaching religion to begin with 
Because if you answer that question, you know, you talked about the scary thoughts about pre-trib and stuff like that. But every culture has those things. They have these beliefs or these things that they teach basically to keep people in line. You know, like, oh, if you don't do this, the boogeyman's going to get you. Or if you don't obey, Santa Claus is going to put coal in your stocking or whatever bullshit. You know, I mean, it's just like <clears throat> we all have these kind of like myths and these these ways of perpetuating fear and control. Um, but I thought Christianity was different. I thought it was like, oh, surely like those are all like those are myths, but we're focusing on the truth. But when you like Peter Rollins suggests, when you look at the type of person who is drawn to religion and why, oftentimes it's people that are looking for security, they're looking for peace of mind, they're looking for a way to feel good about themselves, and they're looking for a way to feel good about themselves at the, at the cost of another person. In other words, by judging others. They're looking for a code through which they can judge others. And religion works so good at that. Now, I'm not saying that disproves all of it, but when you're approaching religion with that kind of like goal in mind, you've already kind of lost in a way because <clears throat> whatever you believe about Jesus, I think like at least by historical accounts or biblical accounts, you can kind of agree that that's not what he came to bring was your peace of mind or your like to aid you in giving you a code to judge people weaker than you. So for some reason, that was really helpful for me because I think it made sense. It helped me make sense of religion. In terms of my, my beef with it isn't what it says necessarily or what it purports to believe, but it's actually how people are using it. And, you know, I, I do not exclude myself from that at all. I think religion did that for me for years and years and years. And I think it has its place in a way. Um, but in a way, if you're using it that way, you're not using it any differently than how the KKK used their club or the NRA uses their club or the right wing or the left wing or the feminists or whatever club you're talking about. Like, we're just another club. Yeah, it, it definitely, um, it definitely, I, I had to write another paper on, um, uh, like group neurosis, and and all I was thinking was ding 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 the church, you know, because there were so many similarities there. Uh, but you're right, people want to give up that idea, their security, and giving up that idea of thinking for yourself, um, and just jumping in with you know some sort of group of people. There's an identity there, there's a security there, uh, and when the a religion has been established for so long, they've already interpreted the Bible for you. So there's really no need for you to interpret it yourself. Uh, because they've written it out exactly what it means in their catechisms or whatever, and there's definitely a, a security there um, that that people find. Um, and then when something weird comes along, like uh, you know, if we think the homosexual issue is is an issue now, wait till transhumanism starts really developing in the next twenty years, and somebody downloads uh, the the soul, the the mind, whatever. whatever of a baby that's not going to make it and then, you know, injects it or, or some kind of way it embodies now some sort of robot. Um, and it's coming. I mean, the, the, you know, I've, I've already taken a seminary, uh, lecture on this, you know, it's, it's on the way, uh, these issues. And so, um, 
people are going to really have a hard time. I think that's why a lot of the conservatives in America are really pulling in closer to their core beliefs because things are changing so fast. Um, and they don't even know how to handle something that's not binary like sexuality. Uh, to think about having to handle something like transhumanism uh, is just going to make them more closed off because, the, <laughs> I mean, it is tough stuff to deal with, and there's a lot more questions there. Um, but, um, you know, it's coming. You know, things aren't static. Things are, uh, uh, things are, things are moving on. Yeah, it's, you know, I like that you use the word binary because that's, a, that's what we was helpful for us is to see that the biggest transition we've been through is the biggest thing we learn from religion is binary thinking. Now, the subject of what is binary about is always changing, and the position the church is taking has always changed also. But the fact that it is very black or white, good or wrong, bad or evil, all the time, kind of like 100% confidence, that's like the consistent through line uh, through it all. And whatever stance it takes about, you know, whatever issue you're talking about or homosexuality in 5, 10, 20 years or 100 years— the one thing I'm pretty certain about is that it's still going to be a haven for binary thinking, mm-hmm. which is we've come to see, you know, I know the theme of your podcast is spiritual abuse, but that type of binary thinking is one of the most spiritually abusive or at least results in spiritual abuse. That thought process is one of the most dangerous patterns we've seen because when my goal is to, like fit things in the black and white categories and you don't fit for me, you know, I don't have many choices on how to deal with you. I can either change my belief system, but actually what's far easier to do is to exclude you so I don't have to deal with the gray that you introduce into my black or white system. Right. And I'm going I'm to use all sorts of fancy explanations for why I'm excluding you. I mean, I'll say, oh, it's so that you change, it's for your own good, it's because you don't follow the Bible, whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, the results are the same. And then you have people, and this is what I think, I don't know why this didn't happen more to us. It happens to so many people where, you know, they are, um, they're kicked out of an organization, like a church, and so they did God. And then they instantly get pissed off at God because of it. That, that didn't really happen to us, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, I think I just I could see that. Well, if God does exist, He's bigger than these people that are, you know, oppressing us. Or it wasn't a one-to-one correlation to me. But a lot of people they never get past that, and they they think, oh, these people that are representing God are treating me this way. If that's the case, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Well, let so me. That, do you think, though, that part of that, and at least some of the people that I've come in contact with, is they still maintain that black and white thinking, and it's either an on and off switch for them. Um, they just all of a sudden jump from, wait, this isn't right, boom, then they go to the exact opposite side and ignore all of the, uh, even if you believe the Bible is not you know, an inspired book, if you just believe it came from the, the ground up, you know, I think Jordan Peterson kind of talks about that a little bit. It's still distilled wisdom, and the idea that people just kind of throw it all out is is uh, I don't know. To me, it just seems like they're just they're still in that binary mindset, and they still yes. want some sort of security of black or white. They just jump to the other side. Absolutely, yeah, and that's the, I think that's the easiest thing to do. 
honestly, is if you're going to to the church to feel secure and to feel, uh, you know, I don't know, like good about yourself, bad about others, they'll definitely give you their way. But when they kick you out, a lot of times people are still trying to scratch that in. So they, you know, you can find that in any club. And one of the most fascinating experiences for us with this whole Bible camp fiasco is, so, you know, we got kicked out and I say kicked out, but we were asked just not to, we weren't allowed to, to cook there anymore. And instantly, so we decided, you know, because we make YouTube videos, but we're going to share this story. The only thing you know we're not going to do is we're not going to be silent about this. We're going to tell the story. Uh, we don't want to, like, throw the Bible camp in the bus or blame them, because, like, I get it. They have their standards. Like, um, the only thing I did insist with them Publicly, at least, is I think organizations should publish their criteria publicly and enforce it universally. Hmm. So if they're going to go on record and say, you can't believe that it's not a, you, in other words, in order to cook here or work here, you have to believe it's a sin to be trans or gay. Fine, no important. I think any club can do whatever they want as long as they're honest about it and they enforce the universal, which is why we can't not because it, it's really not about that. But, uh, but so we told the story, and then what started to happen is all these people started to approach us, like from the LGBTQ positive side, and even atheists, and we're like, yeah, fuck those assholes, like, you know, let's burn it to the ground, basically. And... It was kind of funny because they were basically, I could tell, just trying to get us to join their club. Right. They're like, well, you're out of that club. And they hate us, so we're going to join this club, and we're going to hate them. And, like, they were, like, calling for a boycott and things like that. And I was like, you know, it just wasn't it wasn't our goal um, was to hurt any of these people. Because I think this is, once again, I think this is a systemic belief problem with ideology. I don't think that the people there are any worse than some of the people that they're oppressing. Um, so for us, we've had to work really hard to walk away from the binary thinking and kind of the oppressive patterns. Like you said, not just the club. Otherwise, I think we'll just find another club and do that to a new group of folks. But that's not even my evolution. That's just like... You know, that's, I think that's almost more dangerous because it, it comes across as being more progressive. So I do have a lot of concerns about that. I mean, we ended up um, in kind of this weird twist of faith. Um, like I said, our kids were allowed to still go. So there was this huge question that my wife and I had of, like, do we allow it? Do we support it? I mean, these are people that basically, I mean, they won't use this word, these words, but they view us as less now. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're, like, oppressive to us. It feels like, I mean, this sounds extreme, but it feels like letting your Jewish and you're letting your kids go to, like, a fascist camp, you know, because yeah. they hate you. Like, they think you're less than human. And in that way, like, we've been in that world long enough to know what it means when they're like, well, you're upset. Like, we pray for you. Like, you're a project now. Um, you're less qualified in conversation, dialogue, and events. So there is this question of, do we allow our kids to go? And ultimately, we decided it's, it's our kids' choice. They can decide. We like trust our kids, and we don't think one week is going to ruin them. And we have no intention of trying to like 
wage war against this camp by like using the same type of force and manipulation that like, was used against us. And a lot of people really had a problem with that. A lot of people from the you know gay community or more liberal or atheist or whatever, they they were like personally offended that we didn't kind of like strike back and exclude back almost. So it's really fascinating to watch that play out and to be like, you know, we're not, you have to use different weapons to fight this war. Uh, you can't use the weapons that are used against you. You know, it's not like a thought, but. Yeah, that's, you know, I've experienced the same thing. Well, we're out of time, man. That went by really fast. Thank you so much. Can you uh, give us uh, your places where you can be found again? Yeah, on Instagram, it's everyone belongs. Uh, just one word. And that's really, uh, I mean, that phrase is important to us because as we've stepped away from some of this binary thinking, feeling like, oh, certain people are qualified and can earn God's love and can be in a club. We're trying to move towards some thought that allows for a bigger conversation. Um, and the second channel is Fight for Together. And on Instagram, it's Fight for Together. Or both of those, if you just type that into YouTube, you'll find kind of where most of our content lies. And we didn't even get into talking about Christian music. That was a, that was a side gig of mine, too. I was a DJ in the 90s for Christian Oh, fun. <laughs> well, thanks a bunch. Yeah, it's good talking. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the conversation and what you guys are doing on this channel. I think it's really good, good conversation to have.